Thank you for tuning in with us at Bayou City Fellowship, Cyprus, a community that's radically focused on Jesus. Join us as we continue our study through the book of Acts, Luke's account of how the Holy Spirit breathed life into and empowered the early church to fulfill the Great Commission after Jesus' passion. Well, good morning, church. My name is Ryan Vanzant. I serve at our Spring Branch campus, and I'm excited to share with you today as we kick off a new year and head back into the book of Acts. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in chapter 13 this morning. Well, historically, I haven't been much of a resolutions guy. Uh, But this year, I've been thinking more about the future, about my health, uh, because my wife and I are expecting our first next month, which is super exciting. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. But typically, I opt out of resolutions. And the reason for that is like, maybe for some of you, they don't tend to stick. And recently, I think I've discovered why. You see, I learned about SMART goals. When you set goals, they ought to be specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and time-based. You see, that's a lot of pressure. And I prefer to set dumb goals. That is, goals that are disposable, meaning if I don't do it, there's not very big consequences. Uh, They're unverifiable, meaning you have no idea if I'm doing it or not. They're minimal, meaning they don't add a lot of burden to my life. And most importantly, they're balancing, that by making a good decision in one area, that gives me a little wiggle room to make a questionable decision in another area of life. These are the kind of goals that I set, which is why for my health in 2022, uh, my resolution is that I want to try to take a multivitamin more often. It's the dumbest goal I could think of. And let me just say, 2022 is off to a great start. Well, I forgot yesterday, but I took two this morning, and I feel amazing. But when it comes to goals, there are two things that are really important. Uh, The first, and the one that we often talk about, is an action. That is what it is we're actually committing to do. Uh, But behind that, and perhaps even more important, is an expectation. That is, what we're expecting will result from that action. So for example, if I'm going to take a multivitamin more often, my expectation is that I may be a little bit healthier. I may feel a little bit better. And one of the questions that I've been pondering lately has to do with our expectations as a church. What is Bayou City Fellowship expecting in 2022? And I think this is an extremely critical question for us as believers because our expectations have everything to do with our faith. Listen to how A.W. Tozer describes their connection. He says, true faith is always accompanied by expectation. Expectation has been present in the church in the times of her greatest power. Every great movement of God in history Every unusual advance of the church, every revival has been preceded by a sense of keen anticipation. This morning, as we dive into Acts 13, we're going to get a picture of a church with big expectations. And because of these expectations, God's power not only transforms their lives, but the entire world. That's where we're heading this morning. So let's read starting in verse 1 of Acts 13. It says this, Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, 
Manian, who'd been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Pausing here for a moment, there are two names here that may be familiar to us. Uh, The first is Barnabas. We met him back in chapter four when he sold a field and laid the money at the apostles' feet. After that, he's the one who brings the newly converted Saul before the apostles and recounts what happened on the road to Damascus. Uh, Saul, after fleeing Jerusalem due to death threats, ends up uh, in a city called Tarsus. Meanwhile, Barnabas is sent to a city called Antioch in order to uh, check on a church that is formed out of a mix of Jews and Greeks. And then verse 26 of chapter 11 tells us that for a whole year, uh, they met with the church and taught great crowds of people because uh, Barnabas had left Antioch, he had traveled to Tarsus, and he had brought Saul back to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught great crowds of people. And though it gets just one sentence, I think this 12-month period is perhaps one of the most important times in the story of the early church. We're going to go see why as we keep reading. Let's look at verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. When I first began studying this passage and preparing for today, uh, my plan was to cover most of chapters 13 and 14. Uh, But to tell you the truth, church, this is as far as I got. Uh, Because I think this moment right here uh, represents a massive turning point, not only in the book of Acts, but in the history of the world. Uh, If you think back to Acts chapter one, you remember this moment where Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says, uh, you are going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we've seen how that sentence kind of forms an outline of the book of Acts as the gospel has begun to spread from Jerusalem to the region around it. And with this call from God to Antioch, uh, the gospel message, we're going to see it begin to go from Judea and Samaria into the ends of the earth. It's also on these journeys uh, that Paul meets the church communities that would later receive his letters which make up uh, the majority of our New Testament. So I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that we're here in this room uh, because of the message that God gave Antioch in verse two and their obedience in verse three and their readiness, their preparedness for this moment, I think has everything to do with that year leading up to it which is what makes this passage so particularly relevant for us today as we jump into a new year. This past week, I've just been imagining what it would look like at Bayou City Fellowship if we had this similar sense of preparation. Like imagine if one year from now, God were going to put a call on our church that would echo among the nations, that his power would actually shake the world. With this in mind today, I wanna set before you three resolutions for our church in 2022. And like all resolutions, there is an action and there is an expectation. The actions are exactly what we see the church in Antioch doing, worshiping, fasting, and prayer. But instead of thinking of these as like a spiritual vitamin 
that may make us a little bit spiritually healthier, I wanna challenge us this morning with some higher expectations for what these actions can produce in our lives. So let's jump in. Resolution number one, through worship, God's glory becomes our highest pursuit. Through worship, God's glory becomes our highest pursuit. Well, if I could go back uh, to the start of last year and give myself any piece of advice, I'd say sell everything you have and you're gonna invest the money into one company. Younger me would be like, well, which company? Is it Facebook, Google, Tesla? Like, no, 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 none of those. GameStop. If you don't know, here's the stock price from this past year for GameStop. A year ago today, you could buy a, a stock for about $17. A few months before that, it was around $4. Now, January 29th of last year, the price skyrocketed to $325 a share, meaning if I invested a year ago today and sold at the peak, I would have made 20 times what I put in. It's a pretty good investment. If I learned anything this past year, it's that I don't understand how the stock market works. I mean, this doesn't make sense to me. Uh, in fairness, this didn't make sense to a lot of people. Uh, but I'm a simple man. When my wife and I are at Home Goods and I see something that I like, here's what I do I pick it up, and if it's heavy, I want it. If it's lightweight, it's cheap, I'm not interested. But believe it or not, this is how value has been determined for most of human history. In fact, when we read in the Bible about merchants having honest scales, it's because weight was at the center of how they determined value. Whether it was coins or metal or crops or oil, whatever it is, how valuable it was, was based on how much it weighs. And this is relevant because there's a word used to describe God throughout the Bible, and that is God's glory. And the word for glory actually means weightiness or heaviness. So when we say that God is glorious, we're saying God is heavy, not physically heavy, but that he's worthy. He's of immense value. And in Psalm 29, we see David describing what worship is. This is what he says in verse two. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. In other words, in its simplest form, Worship is recognizing and responding to God's worthiness. It's recognizing and responding to God's worthiness. As we fast forward to Acts 13 in the church of Antioch, worship is what we find them doing. And from the wording, it's implied that it's a regular part of their life. And maybe we imagine it may look similar to our worship today. Maybe someone has a guitar, maybe they're singing songs, uh, but the word for worship in Acts 13 is actually a little bit more broad than that. You may have a footnote at the bottom of your Bible, uh, which gives a literal definition for the word, means ministering to. And the Greek is the same one used for priests as they uh, ministered in the temple or as they offered sacrifices to God. And the question is, well, what does this have to do with worship? And I think it all clicks when we consider Paul's words in Romans 11 and 12. Romans 11 closes out in just this beautiful passage, praising God, saying, for from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. 
And then this praise flows directly into chapter 12, starting with the connecting word, therefore. So therefore, in other words, because of God's glory and worthiness, therefore, my brothers and sisters, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. This is your true worship. So again, worship is recognizing and responding to God's infinite worthiness. And how do we respond? By giving ourselves to him, whether that's your praise or your time or your talents or your treasures. I remember I was in second or third grade and it was really the first time I experienced just like brushing up against God's glory. Uh, As a second or third grader, I had a single passion in life and that was Pokemon cards. I was obsessed. And if you were in the 90s, you know, it was an obsession. And I actually had the cards in my pocket. We had come up to the church for a worship night. And just something happened in that moment where God's glory just made sense to me, how worthy he was. And I remember having the cards in my pocket and feeling them there and thinking, these are worthless. In comparison to God's worthiness, our values change. That's what happens as we give ourselves to God, as we invest ourselves in God's glory, the God who's worthy of it all. His glory becomes our highest pursuit. Let's move on to resolution number two. Through fasting, God's word becomes our strongest craving. Well, if you're in high school or have students, you know that there is a few different choices you have when it comes to uh, selecting classes. Uh, On one hand, you have pre-AP or AP classes, which are a little more challenging. And then you have academic classes, uh, which is definitely a wise choice for some of the more challenging subjects. And the general sense I get when I talk to Christians is that with fasting, it's like AP Christianity, I mean, if you want like a little bit more of a challenge or if you want like a higher spiritual GPA, then go for it. Otherwise, you're good. But what's interesting in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus uh, talks about what it looks like to be a kingdom citizen. And fasting is one of three things that he just assumes we'll be doing. He says, when you give to the poor, when you pray, when you fast. And what's more, fasting is the first thing that we see Jesus do after being baptized and before beginning his public ministry. You you may remember he uh, goes off to the wilderness. He fasts for 40 days, after which Satan comes and tempts him. In the first temptation, he says, turn these stones into bread. And Jesus responds, man does not live on bread alone, but on what? Every word that comes from the mouth of God. In other words, Jesus is saying, our spiritual life is completely dependent on God speaking to us. And throughout the book of Acts, as people come to faith, we see this immediate hunger for God's word. In Acts 2, uh, after Pentecost, you have this large community of believers, says every day they met together. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They were like what Peter describes in 1 Peter 2, uh, like newborn infants who craved the pure milk of the word. 
And maybe you remember a season of life where you experienced something similar. But the problem for us as believers is that it can be really easy to lose touch with this hunger. And God's word becomes something we know we should read more, we wish we had more time for. Or maybe it's like a medicine, something that we take begrudgingly only when we have to, but we don't enjoy it. Thankfully, I believe God knows this risk. He knows this to be true about us, which is where fasting comes in. See, fasting converts physical hunger into spiritual hunger for God's word as the true source that we depend on. See, there's a lot of things that we can fast from. Uh, I typically try to pick out one month a year to fast from scrolling, right? To just cut off that little dopamine hit every time my thumb moves over my phone screen. Uh, And those are some of the most uh, meaningful just times of my year. Uh, But the important thing to remember is that it's not simply an exercise in self-discipline. It's about harnessing and redirecting a natural craving to fuel a supernatural one. Meaning when you're hungry, or you feel that urge to reach for your phone, you instead turn your attention to God, trusting that his presence and his word can actually satisfy you. As we do this church, I believe that scripture can truly become our strongest craving. And what's more, I believe our time in God's word can actually become more enjoyable. Uh, my wife and I have a motto in our house, the greatest season in the world. You know what it is? It's hunger. When we're hungry, everything tastes better. And as we're more spiritually hungry, not only will we see consistency, but our time in God's word will look radically different. It'll be satisfying. Well, jumping ahead to the end of chapter 14, uh, Paul and Barnabas complete their mission. They make their way back to Antioch. They had preached the gospel to great crowds and government officials. They'd overcome a sorcerer. They'd been kicked out of cities, fled for their lives, been worshiped as gods and beaten within an inch of their lives. But as we reach the end, it says this in verse 26. They sailed back to Antioch where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. In Antioch, they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. That word for committed is paradidomi, which means to give into the hands of another. And we saw this take place in our passage. Let's look at it again, verse three. After they had fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them, they sent them off. We talked about fasting already, but it's this prayer in the laying of hands that brings us to our final resolution. Resolution three, through prayer, surrendering to God's call becomes our greatest joy. Through prayer, surrendering to God's call becomes our greatest joy. It's really hard to imagine what this moment would have looked like in Antioch as they prayed over Paul and Barnabas. I remember they had spent a year together in daily fellowship and doing ministry alongside each other. But in order to be obedient to God's call, they would have to let go of their friends and partners in ministry with no way of knowing if they were going to see them again. As they lay their hands on them, it gives this visible 
picture of what's happening spiritually in their prayer. They are letting go and entrusting these two into God's hands. Fundamentally, I think this is a picture of what all prayer is. Prayer places into God's hands what we would otherwise hold on to. Prayer places into God's hands what we would otherwise hold on to. When we pray for someone who's sick, we are admitting that in our hands, we are powerless to help them. But by placing them in God's hands, we trust that he can do what we cannot do. When we pray for a situation at work, we are admitting in our hands, we can't control the people or the circumstances, but we place it in God's hands, knowing that he can work all things for our good and for his glory. And perhaps the best example of this comes from the prayers of Jesus himself. When we look at the prayers of Jesus recorded in the gospels, nearly every single one of them has surrender to God as a primary theme. Think about the Lord's prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Or in the upper room in the book of John, where he spends his last night uh, praying with his disciples. He says, I pray for those you have given me, for they are yours, talking to God. All that I have is yours. Or in the garden of Gethsemane, just moments before he's arrested. He said, not my will, your will be done. And then on the cross, his final words, a prayer of surrender. Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And I wonder, and if we're hoping, expecting for a call from God, what are we willing? What are we prepared to let go of and to place into God's hands? Maybe like Antioch, it's dear friends. Or maybe like Jesus, it's our own will or our desires. Whatever it is, letting go is hard, but our surrender can become our greatest joy as we experience placing pieces of our lives into God's hands and seeing that he actually is far more capable than we are. See, God longs to prove himself trustworthy so that we can know this joy. And my hope is that we can look back at the end of this year and just see this trail of weights that we have placed into God's hands that we've been able to take off our shoulders and that we're even more prepared for greater depths of joyful surrender in 2023. So to close out this morning, we have three resolutions for 2022 that I urge you to commit to. And I hope that you're expecting that God can work as powerfully today in Houston, Texas, as he did in Antioch 20 centuries ago. But tomorrow morning, you're gonna wake up and you're gonna have to decide, what does this actually look like? So I wanna leave you with a few questions that can help direct you this week as we set out. For worship, first question, where can my time, talents, and treasures be invested to God on a weekly basis? For fasting, what do I regularly hunger for that I can redirect into spiritual hunger? And when each month can I set aside time to cultivate spiritual hunger for God's word through fasting? Then for prayer, asking today and each day, Lord, what are you calling me to place into your hands as an act of surrender? 
Well, church, I hope we have big expectations because true faith is always accompanied by expectations. God can do powerful things as we worship, as we pray, as we fast. My hope is that we're not just a little bit spiritually healthier one year from now, but that we once again know the power, the glory of God in our city. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you're good. We thank you that you're here with us this morning and that you are speaking to us. God, would you raise our expectations? Not because we are great, not because we are super committed, Lord, but because you are mighty and because you work through ordinary, everyday people like us. God, thank you for this church. Thank you for this body that we get to worship alongside, pray alongside, fast alongside. God, I pray that we would lean on each other in this year and that you would do mighty things. I wanna invite our prayer team to come forward. They're gonna be here at the front. And if you need prayer for anything at all, we wanna invite you to come forward and pray with someone. Uh, maybe you just wanna respond uh, to something God has placed on your heart over the past few weeks. Maybe it's been a season of challenge and you just wanna talk that through with someone and be prayed over, that's great. You can come forward, you don't have to say anything at all. Uh, you can be prayed over. We wanna invite you to come now. Father, we give you this time. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that you feel encouraged. To stay up to date with our current sermon series, you can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you would like to find more ways to get involved with the Bayou City family, visit us online at bayoucityfellowship.com or download the Bayou City Fellowship Cypress app to find community in the body of Christ.